Hello, everyone, and welcome to the San Francisco Business Times Structures podcast, where we're digging into the news, policies, and trends in Bay Area real estate. I'm Kevin Trong, the multimedia producer here at the San Francisco Business Times, and I'm here with our two real estate reporters, Blanca Torres and Roland Lee. Hi, everybody. Happy holidays. Today, we're tackling some of the topics in last week's massive Oakland Structures special issue. First, we're going to start with a conversation about West Oakland and the possibility of a full-scale revitalization of the neighborhood. Then we're moving downtown to talk about the recent commercial and residential building boom, as well as some other market trends. Finally, we're going deep into the social and economic development side of all this recent activity and the efforts to keep Oakland, well, Oakland. But first, West Oakland, it's a neighborhood that has a bit of a checkered history and reputation, but one that could be at the cusp of a transformation. So a question to Roland, a current West Oakland resident, what makes the neighborhood a good candidate for redevelopment? Maybe you can talk a little bit about why you chose to live there and still choose to live there as well. So West Oakland has one of the best commuting patterns, I would say, in the Bay Area. You can get to Embarcadero, BART Station, in about seven minutes. And you can also get to 12th Street City Center in Oakland in less than that, like less than five minutes. So I think it was Jerry Brown who said, um, you know, Oakland is closer to downtown San Francisco than parts of San Francisco. Um, it's just a very central location in the Bay Area. Um, another thing, there's a, a lot of ab- abundant vacant land, especially around BART. Um, there's basically acres and acres of parking lots, which could be um, turned into housing and high rises. And while you do see um, pretty big lots in downtown Oakland as well, I'd say that the ones in West Oakland are even bigger and closer to transit. So there's kind of this almost blank slate of you know potential there. Um, maybe I can open up this question to Blanca, but you've been in the region for a long time, Blanca. I think West Oakland is sometimes always the you know neighborhood of tomorrow, perhaps. But can you kind of talk about some of the history that you've seen and some of the activity that's been in the in the region beforehand? Right. I mean, I think like at least once a year, you write the story with the theme is this West Oakland's (laughs) big break? Because, you know, when I started writing about Oakland back in 2008, the big development was this big uh, master development that Rick Holiday um, put together, which was multiple housing developments. And um, and at the time, he was, you know, kind of echoing those statements of, like, you know, West Oakland is is the next SOMA, right, because it's – you know, gritty, and it's going to be redeveloped, and it's going to be this hot, buzzing place, and it's so close to downtown San Francisco. So I think there is some of that feeling that that West Oakland's always the neighborhood of tomorrow, but it's also like, what do people want it to be? And, you know, I think there are a lot of longtime residents there who just want it to be safer and to have less crime. And I think some of that's happening because a lot of new people have moved in, you know, not just um, you know, different mix of people. I mean, there's been a lot of articles about how West Oakland's demographics have really changed in the past ten years to be less African American, other other groups moving in. So, you know, it's interesting. People talk about the lack of retail. I, you know, Roland, you could probably speak to that more because it's right next to Emeryville, <laughs> so you can get to every big box you can think of within ten minutes. Um, but I think people do want more retail, you know, a few blocks away to make it feel like more of a neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, if you have a car, you can get to Emeryville. Um, 
if you're just biking or walking it, I'd say it's harder. Um, I mean, a big, yeah, a big part of it has been that the neighborhood is called a food desert because there's very few grocery stores. Um, there is one right by bar called Mandela, a food co-op, which is worker owned and they're expanding um, actually to a next door space, but uh, it's taken years and years for another grocery store project, which is kind of a, I think it's called the People's Community Market. That one's finally um, starting to move forward and start construction soon. But a lot of it is just liquor stores, you know, not many vegetables or fruits for sale. Um, there's a few coffee shops that have opened. So I think we're, we're seeing a bit of that change already happening in the existing buildings where you have new, you know, retailers and restaurants opening. The City Ventures project, which is uh, totally sold out now, it's 171 townhomes. Um, prices are in the 600,000s up to 900,000, um, which is pretty affordable compared to San Francisco. Um, so there, there's been a, a bit of a you know, change already in the last few years, but um, you know, there's a really big one to come now. So this idea of West Oakland as the neighborhood of the future doesn't just go back 10 years. You write a little bit about some of the history um, kind of in the uh, middle part of, of the 20th century. Could you kind of go into a little bit of that and, and how that connects to some of the issues we're seeing, uh, we're seeing today? Yeah, so back then it was called Urban Renewal and um, kind of similar to what happened in the Western edition. There were just blocks and blocks of you know, predominantly African-American community that were just literally demolished and destroyed um, to make way for the post office, which is still there and also the BART line that kind of cuts through uh, 7th Street. So, you know, there was this very vibrant retail, almost a second downtown there, but you know, now one of the reasons there are just parking lots uh, is because the government decided to, to demolish a lot of it. So, you know, with that legacy, there's definitely some concern and um, questions from the community, just will this time be different? You know, will there be equitable development this time? You know, and how do we make that happen? Um. So yeah, you talked a lot, a little bit about some of the major projects um, and, and some of the developers kind of leading the charge in this most recent um, push. Um, what about the political appetite? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely, the city pushed for this actually high density around the BART station. Um, a few years ago, they passed the West Oakland specific plan and they did call for, you know, potentially high rises around the BART station. Um, but I know there's, you know, still a lot of people in the community who are concerned, you know, who can be, who can afford this housing? Uh, you know, who will be employed there? Uh, but the two projects that we are we cover in the paper, uh, one is by Panoramic Interests. Should I say that again? What is what is by Panoramic Interests? It calls for over a thousand apartments. Um, actually, no one bedrooms, mostly two bedroom and up, um, and no parking. And that's right on the um, next to the BART parking lot. And then the other really big one is by China Harbor Engineering which has a team of developers who are coming up with uh, potentially an office high-rise and also housing and retail space. So that would really, you know, that would be right on the BART parking lots, and that would really transform the area uh, if it moves forward. And, you know, both projects are talking about you know, having some affordable housing, um, possibly doing some sort of community-serving retail. Um, so, you know, they're definitely, both of them are still in talks with the community uh, to kind of shape those Now on to downtown, another center of the city's real estate activity, with both big commercial and residential projects underway. But first, let's talk about some of the office projects. So, Blanca, maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the, the big office developments or big office leases and, and some of the 
underlying economic factors that, that are leading to a bit of a resurgence in, in Oakland's downtown? Well, the past year has been pretty robust in terms of office development and activity. I mean, it's just so many projects kind of moving forward all at once. I mean, Shorenstein finally restarted 601 City Center after nine years of, of waiting to get an anchor tenant. 1100 Broadway now has a new owner, Ellis Partners, new tenant, University of California, Office of the President. You also have Uptown Station, former Uber Oakland outpost that is now probably going to be owned by CIM Group if their deal closes. So th these are all really major developments for Oakland. There's a lot of renovations going on as well. They're going to be bringing new space onto the market. And um, and it, it's just, we haven't seen activity like this in probably a decade. And so um, it just speaks to the crazy demand for Oakland office space and the rising values. I mean, the the per square foot cost of an office building in, in Oakland is probably higher than it's ever been at something like $55 a square foot asking rents. Uh, the newer buildings are going to command even higher rents, you know, maybe like in the 70s. So that is a big deal for Oakland, and it's just, you know, a lot more employment, a lot more people working downtown, you know, people making money. So um, <laughs> it's just compared to, you know, this market five years ago, I don't think people would have anticipated it being this robust. So is this mostly catering to kind of the emerging tech workforce, or are we seeing more traditional older enterprises in there as well? Yeah, I think it's it's actually less tech heavy than San Francisco, for sure. Um, I mean, we have like, you know, the big leases were uh, University of California, Office of the President, Delta Dental did a big lease, um, Blue Shield, which is an insurance company. So these are not like the burgeoning tech companies or the tech giants coming over. You know, Uber was kind of that type of tenant, and when they decided to retract, I mean, that was people saw that as like kind of a blow to Oakland's image. But I don't really think it's it's really that much of a of a hit. Um, and you know, there is still you know a tech community in Oakland. I think there's still a lot of interest in that. Um, you know, WeWork just debuted their new Oakland office, and it's pretty big for them. It's going to have capacity is like 14 to or 1500 people and um, there's a lot of startups moving in there there's a lot of like just mid-sized companies and we work tends to cater to like tech on you know startups so that's where you're seeing most of the tech growth is in the smaller companies so we work I, I feel you know caters to a more flexible working environment and a more flexible um, company structures and stuff sometimes when it comes to tech that fits a little bit better but you toured the new WeWork in downtown which is plastered um, advertisements for it. it's plastered all over Barton and stuff but w what what did you kind of see in the in the new location you know I um I feel like co-working's like the future <laughs> and oh, we've so been, I mean we they, keep they talking made you about a believer. this they made um, you a believer well you know we've as the skeptical journalists we are have talked about like you know essentially these co-working companies are middlemen right they're in between a tenant and a landlord and they're taking a cut right and 
and so you know that that's great and all when we're going in an economic recovery and everybody's growing and there's tons of money but what happens when there's a recession like are these going to be the first companies to have financial problems and you know give back space or you know declare bankruptcy you know all this kind of stuff but what I'm seeing now, <laughs> and it's not just WeWork. I mean, I toured a rocket space, which is more of an incubator type model. But what what I'm seeing is that if you're starting company and you're growing and your focus is whatever your business is, you know, your product, why do you want to deal with like complicated leases and you know these big commitments and you don't even know how much space you're going to need next year? And if you're a small company, why are you making a big investment to lease an office and buy office furniture and, and all these things that are really, like, cumbersome? And time-consuming. Yeah. And so you walk into WeWork, and it's like they said, you know, just bring your laptop. You know, they have everything else that you would need. I mean, they have, like, a copy machine and paper clips. Like, you don't even need that kind of stuff. So I can totally see why for a company um, – you know, to do like a month-to-month commitment, real estate-wise, makes a lot of sense. Well, I'm, I'm starting to see more um, merit to the model, too. I mean, I just talked to this startup entrepreneur to, earlier today who said, um, you know, we're moving out of the space that we signed a lease in six months ago. Now we have to find somebody to sublease our space, and that's a whole, and we have to find a new space. If it was WeWork, then we could just, you know, either move into a bigger office space or not even have to deal with that. Headache, but I think it also fits with some of the larger economic issues or infrastructure issues, right? People don't want to go through um, a really intense commute sometimes. So if you have like an outpost in the East Bay and, or in Oakland or whatever, it makes it a lot easier for the for your workforce and helps with the retention and, and hiring too. So I and I don't that's know. you're touching on a really big trend right now with Oakland because in the past, like companies that moved to Oakland, it was either because they were in the shipping industry, obviously related to Port of Oakland, or, you know, had some really specific reason to be in Oakland. And um, and now it's really driven by that's where workers want to be. They're tired of crossing the bridge. They A lot of people live in the East Bay, myself included. Actually, everyone in oh, this everyone room. Here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... And so, you know, you can cut, you know, 30 minutes off your commute by not having, you know, being able to go to, into Oakland. And and so I think Oakland is really finally, you know, selling itself versus just being like, we're, like, there was literally a billboard or campaign many years ago, before my time covering Oakland, That's it was like, Oakland, you know, 30% off San Francisco, right? And that was... That was the marketing, right, is the discount. And now it's like people are like, okay, well, it's still cheaper, but it's not that much cheaper if you want, like, premier class A space. Um, but now people are like, the location's great, the weather's great, there's restaurants, there's, like, things to do. You can get on BART, be wherever you need to go. So all of that, I think, is really coalescing into, like, Oakland's moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, some of the development going on downtown isn't just commercial, it's residential, too. Yeah, there's three pretty big towers now under construction. Uh, the latest one was just a couple weeks ago. Carmel Partners started the demolition um, of this parking lot on 1314 Franklin. Actually, it's a parking garage, which, uh, fun fact, it was actually um, the original site of the college that would directly become the University of California. So a lot of history there. Um, it's only been a two-story parking garage for the last uh, number of decades, but 
that one is now being demolished. It's going to be the second tallest building in the city and 634 housing units. So really big project, um, one of the biggest, I think actually the single biggest building for housing ever built in Oakland. Um, the two other ones are Lennar's, 1640 Broadway, which we had uh, the pleasure of touring. Uh, there's a giant steel foundation that's been poured, um, and that is uh, pretty underway. It's right on the, the Broadway kind of commercial corridor in the city. And then a couple blocks to the east um, is Girding Edlin's 1700 Webster. So, you know, three projects that'll be high-rises. Um, there hasn't been a high-rise completed since about 2009 in Oakland. Um, and this would be, you know, probably the biggest development boom in decades, um, if you include both those towers and also a lot of the mid-rise projects uh, underway. So it's been very dramatic. Um, and you can see a very cool rendering of the new skyline uh, from Steel Blue on our interior cover in print. So I don't want to make a big point about this, but quote-unquote neighborhood feel. I live next to the the parking garage that will eventually turn into a 400-foot tower, and, and literally there's nothing kind of even around the same height to that. What do you think that's going to do in, in changing some of the surrounding um, area? Do you think that's going to bring in more retail and stuff, or, or it's, it's a little bit of a dead zone around there um, at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think there was a study, and it was something like, this, this single building will add millions of dollars in additional tax revenue. When it's you know filled out, it'll be something like a thousand new residents on that one block. Um, you know, when right now there's just a few hundred cars instead. So it definitely will be very dramatic. I mean, it's a block from the BART station, so this is an area where the city said you know density is appropriate. Um, you know, it's zoned for high rise. Uh, I think the retail question again is pretty tricky. I mean, retail is definitely struggling um, throughout the country. But I think that will definitely increase demand for you know a restaurant or a coffee shop or maybe a gym. Um, so it'd be really interesting. The project will have um, you know pretty decent amount of retail space as well. Um, and also, we should note the entire block is not a tower. I think about uh, half of it is going to be mid-rise, so it won't be you know just totally out of scale. I don't think with the area. Um, but yeah, that'll be uh, finishing in I think the next three years. So the whole retail residents uh, issue is really big right now in Oakland because there is so much going on in in Oakland but if you look along Broadway there's definitely like hot spots and dead spots and downtown you know is still highly you know nine to five type activity there and I think people want to see more of nightlife and more of just like you know 24 hour maybe not 24 hour I think it's never going to be like that in downtown Oakland I mean some people say San Francisco is not even a 24 hour city yet um yet like as if that's what people want but um, (laughs) there's definitely a lot of um just concern that that downtown Oakland needs more residents to be supporting the businesses like not just nine to five so having you know, 600-odd apartments is going to be a big deal. But, um, you know, you could have even more housing and, you know, to really fill out that downtown. So the general sentiment of the podcast thus far is that Oakland is changing. And, And while we've talked a little bit about the development activity and the new buildings going up, we haven't really gone into how this transformation may end up shifting the identity of what is currently um, one of the most diverse cities in the country, um, which is a major strength for Oakland and its business community. But that's an issue explored by Blanca in one of her stories. 
while it's true that a lot of metrics in Oakland, you know, wages are up, um, un- unemployment is down. So that seems to bode well for the, the kind of economic activity of the city. But according to your story, those benefits aren't necessarily being equitably distributed. So if you look at the numbers, they're pretty stark, actually, once you start breaking down by demographic group. Um, I mean, we had some numbers in the story for wages across different groups, like whites, blacks, Hispanics, and Asians. And um, you know, the average household income for whites was a, over $107,000 a year, and it was somewhere like above 35000 for African Americans. Wow. Wow. So crazy disparity if you just look at those numbers. And... Um, you know, we, like you said, wages are going up. There's definitely numbers. I mean, you got to look at the story to see it all. It's very interesting. Um, but, you know, it was clear from, from looking at the data that, um, you know, that, that white workers seem to be doing a lot better. If you look at high wage earners, people making 75 grand a year and up, um, it was something like 50% of white people in of white workers in Oakland make that much, and it was only like 18% for black workers. So, you know, I mean, there's so much at play here that we couldn't even touch at all in in this story. Um, You know, the kind of the the elephant in the room is that Oakland has been losing its African-American population for probably a few decades, and some people I interviewed spoke to that. There's a documentary filmmaker uh, and artists who are working together on a project to kind of save the stories of African Americans before that community get kind of goes away. And so there's definitely a feeling that that Oakland's losing something, even though a lot of new people are moving there, the population is going up. And it's like, well, who's benefiting from all this gentrification? Well, it sounds like the gentrifiers, right? Like <laughs> the, the um, you know, educated professionals. And that's not just white people, because that's something that people brought up and that and I didn't get to get too into it in the story, but that, you know, some of the, you know, hip young workers moving into the city are black, are um, Latino, are Asian, and and they're sort of coming in um, at a time when Oakland is cool, right? And a lot of people that grew up in Oakland were kind of told, you know, your city's a piece of crap, you know, <laughs> like that was the yeah. messaging. You know, one person I interviewed, Roger Porter, um, who is a tenure track professor at Laney College, grew up in, in East Oakland, and he kind of talked about um, seeing sort of like a brain drain of his community where people he grew up with, like if you got educated, if you got a college degree, you pretty much left Oakland because you're trying to get away from the hood. And so even you know native people that grew up there and do well tend to go somewhere else because that's what you do. Like It's like you get out as soon as you can. Um, and he wanted to stay there or wants to stay there because it's his community and he, and he wants to be that person in the neighborhood who inspires the kids to go to school. And um, so, you know, it's, it's just an interesting time in Oakland. And, you know, it's just the same with San Francisco. Like, can you reverse gentrification? No, I don't know if any city's ever done that. Mm-hmm. And people I talk to, like Jose Corona, who works in the mayor's administration, um, you know, he was like, we're not trying to stop this trend because we can't, but we, we need to slow it down in terms of people of color and low-income people being essentially pushed out of the city. So I think, 
I mean, this fits with a lot of uh, trends, I think, in the larger conversation about gentrification and things like that. But I also think that businesses now, whether it's because of an economic or whether it's a moral reason, they feel a little bit more responsibility um, in, in trying to address some of these issues with income inequality that we've been seeing in the Bay Area. Um, do you talk to any companies that are looking at interesting ways to, to do workforce development or, or job training for some of these communities that have been traditionally locked out of, of high-paying jobs or industries? Well, the city of Oakland just recently released kind of a um, economic strategy and, and, and trying to sort of target those training issues that disconnect between the existing population and the new jobs that are coming into the city. And, you know, just overall, I think this is kind of a national problem. Mm -hmm. Like any big um, urban area where you have a lot of job growth, you're going to see these these um, kind of a gap between um, available jobs and the workforce. And I think just overall, there's, there's just a lack of preparing people for kind of the growing jobs. I mean, the obvious example is like computer science, right? Um, you know, we need tons more programmers, but it's so hard to get that training. And you're seeing that in a lot of these kind of tech-driven um, economies like the Bay Area's. Um, one thing I think that makes Oakland a little bit different or unique in this sort of issue is is I think that the city itself has leaned pretty heavily into almost marketing itself based on some of the um, cultural contributions of its population in the past. Um, did you talk to people a little bit about the concern of like losing that that sort of cultural cachet that made it, you know, initially a attractive place to move into for some of these yuppies that we've been talking about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people brought up, you know, Oakland is where the Black Panthers started, mm -hmm. and that's a real legacy that people want to really cherish. And it was like a hub of, like, jazz culture and things, too, in the West Coast, so. Right, so which was in West Oakland <laughs> until, <laughs> until the highway destroyed it. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I mean, it's, I think there's definitely a lot of nostalgia and concern about like, okay, um, you know, is Oakland gonna lose its activism, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Oakland was where in the Bay Area, the Occupy movement really took hold and was really, you know, just powerful. I mean, I think even more so than in San Francisco. And so I definitely think that spirit is there, but it almost feels like, um, you know, what are people fighting against now? Like, are they able to, um, you know, to really articulate um, the messaging or, or the cause, right? Um, because in a way, economies are very unforgiving. It's like, you know what, the jobs are up. If you can't get a good job in this economy, you're out. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's essentially what's happened in San Francisco. And I think that's happening more in Oakland. And so when it's all about what your income is, then it's less about like, you know, what cultural legacy are you holding on to? Mm -hmm. And did you, and I, I know that, you know, we all have limited space to, to write about things in, in our stories. Was there any, you know, anecdote or something that when, when, that you kind of found throughout your reporting that you wish you could have um, included, but you, were, you weren't able to, that, that kind of speaks a little bit to oh, that? Oh, so many. Um, I mean, I think some, one thing that people, a few people brought up was just that, um, you know, what's really getting gentrified in Oakland is like Lake Merritt, downtown, uptown. 
And then if you look at some of the, the kind of farther out neighborhoods or like East Oakland, West Oakland, um, you know, they're not, they're just not seeing the same investment or, or home values rise so that they're still sort of like recognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we'll see if that changes, right? Um, but also like, you know, how, I mean, there's a big question of how do you maintain, you know, a city's identity if people are like, well, you know, I can afford a bigger house in Antioch. Yeah. Or, um, you Yeah, there's know, economic realities driving people to make decisions. It's not necessarily. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. Maybe this is a question we need to explore kind of in, in the future, whether there is any city or any policy that has effectively implemented some sort of I guess, um, deliberate diversity, you know, so some sort of policy to actually keep some people there that, but I don't know whether that, that's even possible. I mean, if you have jobs somewhere else or you have home, home prices like cheaper somewhere else, I mean, that's essentially what gets people to move rather than. Well, I think actually housing policies play a huge role in that mm-hmm. because, I mean, if you built a lot of housing, that takes pressure off the market, right? So Oakland's housing prices if you wanted to buy a home, have doubled since 2012, I believe, so the last five years. That's crazy. You know, the same house that you could have bought, you know, right after the recession is now worth twice as much. Like, and in the Bay Area, that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Like, people don't have $300,000 lying around. Mm -hmm. So a house that was $300,000 is now $600,000. That's a lot of money. So, I mean, I emphasize that because we almost take it for granted in the Bay Area that our housing prices have risen so fast, <laughs> so much. And it's a huge um, you know, phenomenon. And I think we're gonna be dealing with the repercussions for decades from now. Because basically it's like the New York Times just did a big story about you know, single family homes and how Americans basically love single family homes and will do anything to protect <laughs> single family home neighborhoods. Yeah. But that's what's really, you know, causing all this dysfunction in the housing market, right? And in California, we care so much about the environment, but we keep pushing people out to like Stockton who need to commute to San Jose. Like, how does that make any sense, Mm -hmm. right? And Oakland, I think for a long time, was this place where you could get affordable rent and you could be, you know, 12 minutes from San Francisco. And that's just not the case anymore. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Business Time Structures podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Kevin V. Trong, at Roland Lee SF, and at Blanca Writes. You can also email us at San Francisco at bizjournals.com. Um, one note, if you really liked this coverage or, or liked our Oakland Structures issue, we have an Oakland Structures event coming up on December 14th, starting at 7.30 a.m. at the Oakland Marriott. So why don't you guys say, you know, some of the the interesting things that may be happening at the event that might make people want to, you know, listen in, so to speak. Well, we're going to have some presentations from Newark and the Oakland A's about their big stadium proposal. We'll have a panel discussion with some of the biggest developers doing the big projects. So that's definitely going to be interesting. And if you have questions about anything, let us know. We can bring those up during the event. Yeah, it should be a great panel. Um, we have actually a bunch of the developers building those towers. We have Shorenstein, Lennar, and we'll have the annual speech from Mayor, Mayor Libby Schaff. We'll talk about all the things happening. 
you can go on our site at www.sanfranciscobusinesstimes.com slash events if you want to buy tickets for that. Um, and again, that's um, December 14th at the Oakland Marriott at 7.30 a.m. And, and obviously, we appreciate all your feedback, so please keep it coming with tips, suggestions for guests, rants, or critiques. And please rate us on iTunes. It really helps us get the podcast out to more listeners. Thanks again for listening. We hope you really enjoyed this Oakland-specific episode. And please subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes if you're interested in hearing the latest in our Structures coverage. Thank you.